transmission by me, Donald Dean. Make me an island. Turn of Make Me an Island. It's program number nine. That's the sound of Bob Marley and the Whalers. It's uh, a song uh, which is feel good. Is you might know uh, the Whaler song feel good, but that there is a tune or remix, dub remix uh, that came out on Aston Barrett's label Tough Kong in 1970. 
and uh, just absolutely love the sound of that one there. And uh, I'm going to actually explain sort of the uh, provenance of a lot of uh, the records that I've been opening the show with, uh, they all being on 45 RPM. I'm going to uh, talk also about more conditions which produce great music uh, in this show. And again, we're going to be in Kingston, Jamaica, and this time the uh, sound of Kinshasa from Seke Molenga and Kale Kabongola and the record that they made with Lee Perry in 1978. Just a couple of years before that, in Paris, a man called Joe Biso was operating in, uh, sorry, from Cameroon, was operating in Paris. And I'd come across his name quite a few times uh, before that, and usually in connection with more kind of disco edits. And uh, then uh, an album, Dance To It, came out on Bandcamp a couple of years ago and tucked away at the very end was this incredible song. And I think uh, listening back to uh, the first few programmes that we did, as well as those conditions in which uh, great things get created, really interested in aberrations. And this tune is certainly one of those. Adua, right now. I 
say your man, all man, black man, pink man, white man, yellow man, pink man, right now.
Young woman, sexy woman, you look so good. Are you for real? I can't believe it. <laughs> Woo! Right now. Everything's different now. That's uh, the sound of Joe Bissell and from 1976. And Dance To It is the album. Like I said, the uh, other tracks on that LP uh, are very funky and great and all. But uh, that one is just in another dimension completely. And that one's called Adua. And I want to dedicate it especially to Borka, uh, from whom I get many great tunes. And you know how it works. It's what goes around, comes around. Um, on the subject of uh, the 45, 45s, um, or the six inches, as my friends used to call them, um, it's um, so around about 2014, um, I was I found myself in New York City with time and unusually for me, with money to spend. And uh, in that town city, um, uh, a friend of mine, Des, uh, as well as being a real heavy cat in every way, is also a, a brilliant digger of records. And uh, he took me around to a few shops. And the place that I kind of liked the most was A1 Records, which is in uh, the East Village. And uh, so at the time, I had um, crutches because I had a, an Achilles injury. And uh, first day, spent lots of time going through everything and started off at the really, really rare box and kind of worked my way along. Um, and so at the end of the first day, I came to the counter and I had a couple of hundred dollars or whatever, which bought me about 60 seconds worth of friendliness at the counter. And so they asked me where I was from, how long I was in town, all that sort of thing. And I uh, told them I'd be around for a few days, come back tomorrow. Came back the next day and uh, it was, hello, Donald, and hi. They had a heater and a table and I sat down and uh, the uh, three people in the shop, I'd say who were probably working there for... They were as old as myself, so probably been there for the best part of three decades, maybe, felt like that. Uh, they used, anyway, I used all their knowledge to, to get them to bring me uh, 45 inch singles of any type whatsoever, as long as they were, you could dance to them. And then um, 
and albums from anywhere as long as anyway. Uh, so that was kind of the basis of uh, the Sunken Treasure column from which I'm drawing lots uh, in this show. And uh, so uh, over the course of the, of the next couple of days, I think I listened to absolutely everything in the shop, bought lots of it. And uh, at the end, um, when I was leaving, they took down the box of really, really rare reco records and said, uh, you should take one as a present. And uh, so I went through it again. And I picked out three and uh, couldn't decide between them. And uh, I asked the two lads who were there at the time, would you write down which one I should take? And uh, they both did that. And I looked at them and I chose the one, the same one, the right one. And this is it. and that's a, an original Studio One pressing and uh, that there is called uh, We've Got to Make It and you can hear my microphone's just fallen. And on that subject, on that bombshell, I'd like to uh, thank Ian Cudmore, my producer, who has been instrumental in getting this show together, instrumental being the operative word, but he has been amazing. And also to Kate Ferris, who's been off-air producing and uh, doing an extraordinary job of building up my confidence 
and it's been such a pleasure to be, as I'm calling it, back on the air. I consider this to be a, kind of a, an act of personal public service broadcasting. And uh, I guess one of the great things uh, is that it opens up a line of communication that I had not alone uh, thought was, uh, I, yeah, not only was it gone for a long time, but I thought yeah. it was gone forever. And uh, so, yeah, that's been a great pleasure and it's been really brilliant. I think it's a, a project entirely for the love and uh, I'm getting a lot in return. In smoking sense a million, you gotta give thanks some praise unto the almighty Lord John John. Oh yeah, do it John. Murder. Making up, him name Jaovia, Jaman Fix 
six days, not to seven. Give riches to King Solomon, make him wiser than all other man. He could make with all the damn. Living in Babylon, not a black man with arm. If he has his riches, is armed. When me weak, then set up his strong. When me rank, then set up me rank. Who me no check the politician? No care who win the election. Band they might make please everyone. Flashy long style of fashion. Me God, me King, him name Jah Ogyara. Me God, me King, him name Jah Ogyara. Yes, it inspire me to be a my chanter. Me march with the mic round the amplifier. Me bring with the sadness can no a culture. Me can't just lyrics go hear me utter. Sound of Papai Levi and produced by Maxi Priest in 1984. That one comes from London, not Jamaica, very much in the style of Rankin Joe's sound system. And uh, that's called My God, My King from 1984. And we're going to be going back to Kingston in just a little while uh, to talk about the Black Ark Studios and Lee Perry, and in particular that collaboration. As you can hear, the uh, soundproofing is really working here. Uh, but just on the point of uh, what Ian and uh, Kate has been doing, helping me, and also on the point of the microphone, uh, when we got the idea, or rather, when we had the idea to try do this uh, show for the duration of lockdown, it was just kind of a last-minute thing, getting all the equipment together. And uh, so it worked pretty well for the first seven days. And it, uh, because it took a while to, to get it cleared, uh, we had to wait a few days. So it was a few days ahead, thinking, oh, well, that's good. It means that uh, lots of time to if there's anything that comes up uh, that we can uh, change course of action. And then uh, discovered uh, little glitches in the last two or three shows, so we had to dump those. So we're kind of going back again, but it's good to uh, reset everything. And having kind of uh, exhausted Google, trying to figure out what was wrong with the, uh, our system. And I want to thank Tom O'Dea as well from DDR for his help. Uh, after doing all of that several times, breaking it down, building it back up again, discovered that uh, the batteries were low in the microphone. So you never know. And uh, so look, I'm going to play you, or sorry, I'm going to talk about something now. Um, I guess the themes of the show so far have been about those kind of conditions that sort of great things happen, sometimes by accident, sometimes uh, cultural shifts, and, uh, and then just purely by chance occasionally as well. So uh, today I'm going to talk uh, as well as uh, about Lee Perry. I'm going to talk about something that happened uh, back in the 50s in Kentucky. So um, the Sunken Treasure columns that I'm taking these from, normally they're about albums, but uh, this one isn't, so as, he's, as you'll see. We interrupt our normal service to bring you the story of a single this week. It's a diversion well worth taking, as this is no ordinary tune. It's outstanding for all sorts of reasons, not least of which is the fact that it is powered by some highly combustible dance floor superfuel. It also might be the first example of electronic music ever made. The sound of Kraftwerk was a long way off when this was recorded in Kentucky in 1958, but music has a funny way of predicting the future, either by accident or design. It's often said about a good song that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. The whole in this case is a slice of 1950s pop perfection, but there's one part in particular that shakes the room and sets the twilight reeling. The guitarist Chet Atkins was the producer. He had been riding on the crest of a wave in the mid-1950s and was given an A&R role at RCA Victor. Through this, he picked up on a saxophonist called Boots Randolph, who had just released a couple of singles under the name Randy. Randolph's writing partner, James Rich, was involved too. This tune was the fruits of their first studio session together. 
Whichever genius among them had the idea of using Morse code for the hook was onto something about a quarter of a century ahead of the curve. They weren't waiting around for no chorus to get up on it with the dots and the dashes either. It explodes into action with a burst of electronic bleeps. The pulses punctuate the rhythm and send the melody into space. Almost 60 years on, it sounds ridiculously fresh. Rock and roll itself was in its infancy in 1958. The tectonic plates were shifting and all sorts of tremors were reverberating through music. The shock of the new was dynamite in their hands. Boom, the future sound of Bergheim blows up at the local hop. I'm getting your message, baby. You're getting through to me. Well, I'm getting your message, baby. It's plain as it can be. Hey, she's telling me that she loves me. Well, I'm getting your message, baby. You're getting through to me. There ain't no static, you're coming and fighting Every time you say you're mine When you say you love me too Then I will say right back to you I'm getting your message, baby You're coming in loud and clear Well, I'm getting your message, baby And this is what I hear Hey, she told me she loves me again Well, I'm getting your message, baby You're getting through to me When you say you love me too, then I will say right back to you. Oh, I'm getting your message, baby. You're getting through to me. Well, I'm getting your message, baby. It's plain as it can be. Hey, she's telling me she still loves me. Well, I'm getting your message, baby. You're getting through to me. You're getting through to me. Yeah, you're getting through to me. You get the idea, that's, uh, and the message, hopefully, that's Randy Rundolph and Message Baby, produced by Chet Atkins, 1958. Um, I've been talking lots about how music passes so easily between us and, and we really are each other when it comes to our taste in music. And sometimes music is powerful enough to make you friends on the spot. And that tune, it being an amazing tune, um, I discovered because I played a set uh, somewhere in the UK and uh, it was absolutely awful at a party and uh, it was kind of a favour for somebody that I, or favour for uh, somebody to whom I owed one and uh, anyway, awful night, suffering the whole way and then at the end of the night a uh, man came up and said, I like the music, love the music, thank you and I was like, are you serious? Uh, that was the, probably the worst gig ever and he was like, no it wasn't and he said, I've uh, got my records here, do you want to listen to some? And I kind of looked around for a second and look at him and thought, oh, something about the way he said it was like, sure. And uh, we started with that record and went the whole way through the box and all the way back again. And we were there uh, long into the night. And I want to dedicate that very specially to Jean. Uh, OK, so I'm going to get back to talking about those energy flashes and revolutions in just a minute. That it being in Kingston, Jamaica, after we hear from Lady Amazon de Guinea. 
It's a group uh, from Guinea, and we're going to be going back to that country uh, to uh, just concentrate further on the incredible music produced uh, by it later on in the series. But that there is from Les Amazon de Guinea and uh, a banger of a tune called Samba. Uh, they've been around since the 60s and they're still going. And they have a group of 15 to 20 members and all of them, all of the women are from uh, the Guinean army or the gendarmerie. So there you go. Um, so I want to jump along to uh, Lee Scratch Perry now, back to Kingston. We've been there already uh, for the Studio One special and uh, the incredible Cox on Dodd. Well, Lee Scratch Perry's career started in the same uh, studio, one setup with uh, Cox on Dodd, and he was responsible for uh, recording lots of music with him. Um, as many people did uh, with Cox on Dodd, he fell out and he moved to Joe Gibbs Amalgamated Studios, and uh, and that's where he started to really his recording career took off, and uh, and that's where he recorded uh, the first uh, tune that I'm going to play you, which is really uh, the very first tune. Uh, that he released as uh, under the name Upsetter, and also uh, possibly the very first sample. We've had the first electronic sound, and uh, here's uh, the first sample. It's uh, People Funny Boy, Lee Scratch Perry. Shot. All I've done for you, you don't remember that. 
Yeah, so that's 1968, and it's the first thing he's released under the name Ops, of the Upsetter, and it's very much uh, directed at uh, Cox on Dodd, and uh, people, Funny Boy, sold 60,000 records in Jamaica and uh, created a whole new sound and uh, caused something of a sensation. Uh, I think it's fair to say so. I just want to maybe play something from a few years later on. So by 73, he's set up in his own uh, Black Ark Studios, legendary uh, place, and of course, uh, the unconventional methods and the rudimentary uh, recording equipment has been documented many times. Uh, but in trying to explain it, I just uh, chose one piece that I, uh, from an interview that I did, which I think kind of sums it up. I see the studio must be like a living thing, a life itself. The machine must live and be intelligent. Then I put my mind into the machine and the machine performs reality. Invisible thought waves. You put them into the machine by sending them through the controls and the knobs or you jack it into the jack panel. The jack panel is the brain itself. So you got to patch up the brain and make the brain a living man and the brain can take what you're sending into it and live. Just 
There's a double album called Scratch Attack, which is a very good introduction uh, and compilation of uh, his work as the upsetter. Uh, so that's uh, something from the Black Ark Studios, and that's called Bushweed Corn Trash. So um, there is so much with uh, his productions in from Black Ark that we could choose uh, several records and concentrate on them. But the one that I've chosen uh, doesn't really rank or isn't usually ranked among uh, the uh, big ones, the classics that came out of the studio. But for me, it's, uh, well, maybe it's because, uh, it's obviously because my taste, but it is, for me, one of uh, the most amazing records that he produced. So it's 1978, and um, it's uh, it's two lads from Kinshasa come to Kingston with a dream of recording with Lee Scratch Perry. And through a whole pile of uh, smoke and mirrors, it, it eventually happens. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it from something I wrote uh, as For Sunken Treasure. So, music is the closest thing we have to a universal language. Sound doesn't submit to border checks or controls. It can be a peacemaker, icebreaker, a battering ram, a bargaining tool. It can be the key to survival or a ticket to ride. So it was with Seke Molenga and Kale Kabongola, who in 1977 travelled to Kingston from then Zaire with not a penny to their name, nor a word of English, but with a bunch of songs and dreams of meeting their kingmaker in their hearts. Along with their guitar and vocal skills, the Congolese pair were dab hands on the horns. Most impressive of all was their percussive abilities, a factor that endeared them to their drum-loving host. Perry had a reputation for eccentric and unconventional approaches to recording and was known to count on mystical invocations to guide him. He took the arrival of Molenga and Kawangola as a sign from Ja that he should reconnect with his African roots. The result is a buoyant and joyous sounding record unique to Perry's canon. This is the original crossover sound. Tribal grooves coagulate in a thick swirl beneath trademark black arc bass lines. The two cultures connect in electrifying ways. The reggae beat thrives in a more ancient setting. The songs are sung with gusto in Lingala. There's an exuberant spirit to proceedings. The record is a document what happens when fate intervenes and fetches victory from the clutches of defeat. There is blood and there is fire. <laughs> Thank you. 
Easter at his absolute peak, I think, uh, around about 1978. The Black Ark at its peak too uh, quickly uh, declined thereafter uh, to the point uh, where, yeah, it's conjecture, but it is rumoured that he burnt it down himself. And of course, uh, that being the turn into the 80s, he had a very dark and lonely time uh, living in London for a while. Uh, but then cleaned up his act in every way and is, uh, is still playing shows and good shows at this point. Uh, the amazing Lee Scratch Perry. And uh, it was his mother, in fact, uh, who was uh, her Yoruba ancestry. So that was very much key to his work on Kala, Kawangole and Seke uh, Molenga. And the thing about that is listening back to it, with rudimentary equipment, he invented sound or created a sound of his own. And uh, there were many inventions involved. And uh, if you look at footage of him, um, I'm not sure which martial art he was a master at, but uh, he moves in, in a pretty incredible way. And uh, and with the kind of things he was doing, uh, with a very limited mixing disc, as in overdubbing, kind of sonic slate of hand kind of tricks, um, yeah, I think it was all part of uh, the way he moved. Everything was just uh, pretty amazing at that point. And I hope you enjoyed uh, me going on about the Scratch Perry and the, and the Black Ark. I, uh, I'm going to be back again tomorrow and uh, pretty much every show from here to the end of lockdown. Uh, sorry, every day with a show. Once again, you can get in touch. Donal at makemeanisland.ie And like I said, uh, this... Radio service will continue, personal radio service will continue in some format, some shape or form, and uh, get send us an email to that address, best way of staying in touch. We're going to play out with Barney Willen. This is the sound of Africa Freakout. Goodbye now.